1: Welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Today, here at Hendrick Motorsports in the number 924 shop, here with the crew chief of the number 24, Darian Grubb. Darian, thanks for being here.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me
1: on. Nice view here of the race shop. <laughs> Um, Is this what your view was like the last time? It
0: is, actually. This is my old office from when I was here with the 25 team back in uh, 2007. So it's a very familiar ground for me, but uh, yeah, overlooking the shop here and seeing the, the thrash going on downstairs, uh, it, it's a, a welcome sight to see all these people working to get these cars fast.
1: And we were just talking that you got back from the Vegas test at three in the morning Friday and it was right back to work getting ready for Daytona. It was, uh, we, we landed
0: about 145, so I got in bed about three and then uh, showed up here about 10 o'clock the next morning. and. Worked here from uh, 10 to 7 on Friday afternoon, uh, trying to just get things caught up a little bit from being gone all week. And uh, the guys worked Saturday and Sunday as well, trying to get the Daytona cars... Finished up, and uh, we still got some more work going before we can actually get
1: those things loaded and get them uh, to Daytona this week. Anything special or particular this year? I know there's the new inspection system. Of course, there's a new Camaro as well. Is there anything about the cars that require extra preparation this year?
0: Not really. The biggest thing for us is the body change with the Camaro ZL1 coming along. It's uh, We had to rebody everything in our fleet and uh, just waiting on parts a lot of times, just trying to get all those. There's a lot of teams out there all scrambling for the same part. So as they come in, we're able to assemble cars and uh, get things built. But uh, yeah, the new inspection process and things, it requires a few new tweaks of what we're doing to our process, but we were already scanning cars here for the way we built uh, things here at Hendrick Motorsports. So it's more just tweaking our systems
1: to make sure we're uh, up to speed with what we're gonna take to the racetrack. How do you like the concept of using, what is it, like 17 cameras and computer technology imaging versus using the steel templates to measure the car.
0: It's it's a little bit to be seen still when we get to racetrack and kind of see how they implement that and how they enforce uh, for all the teams. It should bring the playing field a lot closer because it is going to be a lot less to in any individual inspector's discretion of whether something passes or fails. But I think uh, it's going to bring the field closer together and it's going to put on a better show for the fans. I really hope so. How did the Vegas test go? Uh, Vegas test went really well. We were a little nervous going out with William for his first time in a cup car and <laughs> kind of prepped him ahead of time. It was like, hey, we're not looking for speed. We're just looking for consistency. We want to get two solid days of testing in, just kind of see how it goes. And then uh, our fifth run on the track, we were P one in the, in the first <laughs> session. So obviously he adapts very quickly, and he did an incredible job the entire test. And the guys did too. The preparation here from Hendrick Motorsports and what they took to the track was uh, really good, and we were able to hit the ground running. And. It was an interesting two days. We learned a lot. We got through a huge test list, and I feel like we uh, have some things to
1: definitely go back and look at data and be ready to go to Atlanta when we go to the first intermediates. How impressive that William has shown himself to be an extremely adaptable driver, Truck Series, Xfinity Series, but for him to get in the Cup car for the first time and go out against some some pretty formidable competition. There, some talent. I mean, Kyle Larson was there, and some other big name drivers, and he's he won that first session. Yeah, it,
0: it was impressive. I mean, he worked really
1: hard at being prepared for the event and going through all the data
0: we had we could provide before we got there and we did a lot of work in the simulator kind of rerunning and pre-running some of the things we were going to do at the test so he knew what to expect when we got there but uh, just you could tell there was a little bit of nerves but yeah. he, he handled it like a champ I mean he really just jumped in there eased into it the first run or two and then after that it was all game on it was just like dealing with a, a veteran cup driver the whole time it was, it's very impressive to what he dealt with and what he was asking for he He's a data-driven uh, individual. He really hmm. wanted to see how he compared to Kyle Larson and how he compared to Jimmy's data from last year really? and things like that very early
1: in the day because he wanted to see how he could get better. So it's impressive to see that kind of effort. Do you think that comes from his, so much is made of his sim racing background? Do you think that's where it stems from? I think it does.
0: He's just very comfortable looking at the data. He's, he's been fed the data all along. You see the traces and you know what people are doing, looking at throttle styles and brakes and some of it changed a little bit because the aero package is different than what is last year and a body difference and all the other things that go along with it but uh, you still can pick up some things from that data of what you think you might be able to do to better and just obviously seeing just different styles of what Jimmy would do what Kyle Larson would do what we would do and uh, things from the past and he he was able to adapt his style to what others were doing to see if it was
1: better and then he would end up uh, breeding that into his own style as we went along. And just to put it in layman's terms, he's looking at throttle traces, meaning like where they pick up the accelerator in the corner and how that might affect how he should do his lap.
0: Correct, yeah, yeah. how how deep you would drive into the corner, when mm-hmm. do you lift, how much brake pressure do you use, how much steering input it takes to get around the corner, and how much speed you're scrubbing off versus what you did. Your previous laps, we did one run that was a 35-lap run. It was just impressive to see him trying a few different styles and carrying that speed through, all the, through the entire run was pretty impressive.
1: He handled himself so well, but I know he was also somewhat antsy. I, I saw that he told um, Jeff Gluck that he felt like he was just holding on at the start. He had so much power and that it was never really about getting comfortable. It was just basically just hanging on to this bucking horse as it whipped him around a mile and a half racetrack. But obviously... He was comfortable enough. <laughs> um, where do you think that comes from, a kid that young? Is it just something inside him, do you think?
0: I think it is, and some yeah. of it comes just from his past experiences. I mean, he's driven everything from Legends cars, late models, uh, trucks, nextfinity. He's been around a lot of different equipment and a lot of different places, so he's seen a lot of different styles already, had a lot of different teammates as well where he could look at that data in the past. So I think it's just him adapting and being prepared to drive anything anywhere. He, he's definitely that... Uh, style of driver where I think you'd go out and put him on a lawnmower race if you could,
1: because you know he'd be competitive. (laughs) And it's just, uh, it's interesting to see that fire and that spark in him to go to the racetrack. I talked to him a couple weeks ago, and he mentioned that he felt as if your background with working with so many drivers, with Denny Hamlin, with Carl Edwards, Tony Stewart, and Jimmy Johnson for a brief time as well, would help in working with him and help in kind of developing his driving style did you find that that you could draw on what you knew from other drivers and apply it to him
0: there was a few chances where he would actually ask me a specific question about how how did denny react to this how did tony do with this and just just generalities about their style of how they drove into the corner how they picked up throttle and some of those things so he, he's definitely inquisitive he want he wanted to kind of know like what people did that how they were successful and it's, it's funny because some of those things like even denny or tony or what they did in the past it wouldn't be the same at every racetrack and mm-hmm. that, that's kind of what he was looking for he wanted to say all right there's not a, a some generic candy style that i can go pick out of a bin and say this is what i've got to do it's more of hey how, how do we adapt the car to what i'm looking for and how does it how willing am I as a crew chief to set, change a setup to be able to help him adapt that style to every given racetrack. So he was kind of feeling me out and I was kind of giving him some feedback. Well, I've, I've seen it all. I've kind of seen a lot of different scenarios and I've had drivers that change their scenarios over the three years I've worked with them too. So it's a little bit of just us learning each other and
1: learning how I would approach a setup and how he would approach driving a race car. You're an engineer as well. I mean, graduated from Virginia Tech and that took you into the, the racing path. Working with a driver like this, who's so craving of data, is this, do you think, where things were going? in the 21st century with the engineering explosion that's kind of occurred in NASCAR that obviously have been immersive with the teams. Is it headed that way with the drivers, do you think, as well, because of things like the sim racing and kids probably getting into this sort of thing?
0: Yeah, even if it's not their own engineering background, I think it's at least their understanding of where it's at and who who to talk to, how to ask the right questions and how to process that right data. Don't say you're going to have all engineers driving race cars, but they at least have to be able to work with engineers directly and give good constructive feedback and actually ask the right questions. So, You can get the best performance out of the race car. It's definitely starting to head that way because we have so many tools and test time is so limited now that a lot of things we do is more in a digital world. Is it more enjoyable for you that it relates so much to your background, or it goes both ways? Uh, There's days I really miss just being laying under the car, getting (laughs) greasy and dirty, and changing this lever spring because that's what you would do uh, back on a late model in the '90s. But then there's other days like man. you really look through what you learn as your education, how you learn something every day. If you don't, you're not, not keeping up with the times. And seeing the process change and just watching new kids coming out of college now and what they are taught as a skill set, it's stuff that they were just starting to dabble in that. In the, like My class at Virginia Tech was the first one that was required to have your own computer at huh. school. So... The, the way now you can't even live without a laptop. Man. Right, it's just amazing to see how that technology has changed over the time and how people adapt. And I get both sides of it. I, I love the the. Nitty gritty dirt and mechanical side of things. And then I love the uh, technology
1: side of it as well. So that was what, class of 97? 90, f- 98. Yeah, okay, yeah. that was the first year. It's like, you need a computer now, a generation later, we can't live without them. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so one of the things that William told me as well, Darian, was that it wasn't so much about learning the race car as it just learning where he needs to be <laughs> every weekend. I'm sure the, the run of show, so to speak, is completely different for a cup driver versus an Xfinity driver. How do you help William Byron from that sense, from all the experience you have on the cup level and kind of just guiding this kid who should be in college but has this full-time pressure-packed job.
0: That's honestly some of the things we're paying attention to now is how do we deal with the PR staff and just the people that are helping schedule things for him. Make sure you don't get overrun on race day. Make sure he's able to actually go do the appearances and still have a, a, a break for himself to clear his own head, Get grab something to eat for lunch. You're never wanting to go get in a race car when he's starving and hadn't been able to keep up because he's doing some appearance somewhere. So some of those things are just going to come with time. Uh, In the past, he's always had shorter events. So, yeah, if you don't have a a good meal or whatever else, you'll probably be okay. Well, now you're going to be going to do 500 miles. So the preparation comes days ahead of time for the hydration and all the other things that come along with that. So luckily we've got one of the best in the business with Jimmy Johnson there who's already been coaching him on a few of those things. And I've seen some really good debrief sessions that the two of them have had and uh some pointers that jimmy's given him as far as nutrition and preparation hmm. and luckily even last year uh, william was already getting started on our uh cup driver workout program and some of those other things too i think he is well-rounded he's ready for that but it's just it's a like you said a very hectic and busy schedule and you've got to be able to keep up with all of it with the sponsor demands and the demands at the racetrack and uh, the fans and everything else too so you can't miss any part of it you're going to end up being a failure in somebody's eyes right it's just tough to handle that pressure and
1: i'm sure it's something he's going to adapt to pretty well and over the course of 10 months and 36 races and you can manage it as well as you possibly can but there can't be a way to manage it perfectly right i mean there's to be weekends where everybody gets overwhelmed oh, absolutely yeah.
0: we deal with that with our entire crew i mean you got truck drivers that are on the road we do the west coast swing they don't get to come home pretty much for three weeks and it it's stressful for you it's stressful for your family it's stressful for what you do at the racetrack but then you still have to perform for those 14 hours you're in the garage you gotta be on your end game the entire time so it's it's all the way around and uh william coming into that and we actually have a fairly young team we got a lot of new members and stuff that have come in and it's fun to see that breath of fresh air too because because they are enthusiastic and we got a a good mix of veterans who have been through it all who can help tone that down when it needs to be too when the excitement level gets too high.
1: Well, it certainly seems so far as if William is well-suited, like he's got the right disposition, demeanor, or whatever that might be to, to handle it. I don't know him that well yet, and I don't think a lot of my media peers know him that well yet, just because he's so new on the scene. But I was struck by the fact that he looks like a Boy Scout, and then I learned as I was doing research for this, he actually is a Boy Scout and was recently honored by like Mecklenburg County for being like <laughs> Scout of the Year or something last year. What's he like? What have you gotten to know him about? Is he, is he as wholesome as he seems? Just he, on the he, re-
0: he really is that wholesome of an individual, and it, it's funny because one of the first events I was able to go to... Him was that Eagle oh, Scout really? ceremony <laughs> where they were presenting him this award. It was like, hey, Hendrick paid for a table here. We need to go down and represent uh, William and congratulate him on that award. And it it was very unique for myself, being a father and everything else too, walking in and seeing him and his dad there. And it was like the, the pressure that he had to go up on stage and speak and his dad being there and being very proud of him for all he, he's accomplished. Yeah. And it's like realizing, wow, he is that young. He, he has that... Uh, adult persona and uh, profile of work being a race car driver, but man, he, he's really still just a kid. He's he's receiving these awards, but the the class of individual that he is, and the respect that he got there from all of his uh, peers there at the the Scout Awards was it's, it's impressive, and to see he has that kind of respect already in that arena.
1: He's coming into racing. I, I think you're going to see a lot of that same personality come about. So he's been prepared for it well by his family. You mentioned his father there, Darian. I know he's been a big part of his career, but he is just sort of mature beyond his years, it seems. He's just that kind of kid. He
0: really yeah. is. He just seems like he's put together very well. There's mm-hmm. been very few subjects that we've talked about that he doesn't have some sort of a, a feeling or education about or something that it, he's like, well, I really don't know. I'm going to go dig into that. Like He's that kind of a student. He wants to be engaged in everything that he's involved in and a very thoughtful individual as well he, like he's already starting to learn the guys names and their their wives and their kids and stuff because that, that's what it's all about we're going to spend 40 weeks together uh, traveling on the road and doing all these tests and just kind of really run of the meal things from going to breakfast to going to dinner and just working all day together. So you got to have that friendship atmosphere too. And he's definitely mature beyond his years
1: with watching how he's dealt with that. What do you think so far he's most concerned about adapting to? And what are you most concerned about him adapting to? Uh, For what we've seen
0: at the test and stuff now, it's more about just the intricate details of things like pit road and how a cup Mm -hmm. car is different from Xfinity and truck and the level of performance that you have to compete against on the cup series uh, he's never driven the the efi uh, equipped cars and that some of some of those things just how the throttle response is how the braking is on a cup car versus what he's used to in the past we're going to have some growing pains we're probably going to speed on pit road here and there and we're going to decide whether we want to back things off from what we would typically do in the past or if we want to get more aggressive as things go along um, that's the kind of stuff that we're going to have to just adapt and see how it goes. You're never going to learn those aspects until you're in the battle during the race. So far though, anything we've done by the time we do it the second time, he's pretty well spot on. So I don't think the learning curve is going to be too long.
1: I know the goal is always let's win, let's make the playoffs, but how do you recalibrate those expectations a little bit?
0: We still have those same expectations. We, we want to win because we know that's our easiest way to make it into the playoffs and, we know we're capable of wins. It's just a matter now of we got to put everything together. If we go and we start really running well during the races and we're letting him down as a pit crew or we're letting him down with selections we're making with the setup of the car, that's where it, the team atmosphere is still there. It's it's on all of us. It's not just him as a new driver coming in. It's the team. It's the pit crew. It's how we do strategy and how we work as a whole as Hendrick Motorsports as well to make sure we have the, the platform to be successful. So... All those things put together, I think, gives us a shot at a win, mm-hmm. and we're looking forward to that. But for me right now, immediate goals are top tens. We, we want to go out there. You're never going to be in contention for a win unless you can consistently perform in the top ten level. And then you're going to sneak into top fives, and then you're going to have the chance to win when you're out there on that last strategy call or whatever it takes to get there. But
1: so far, with the speed he's shown, I, I think we have true potential to go out and make some wins this year. And if you can put the car beneath him and he gets the experience, he could win in year one. Absolutely. I was looking through some quotes, Darren, that you had about coming back and working with William. I don't know where I found this, but you said that you always loved working with young guys because I was once a young guy and some veterans gave me my chance. Who were some of the people who mentored you when you were first getting into NASCAR? Uh, when I first started at Petty
0: Enterprises, it was Greg Stedman. Uh, Richie Bars is one of the, the greatest chassis guys ever that works up there in their department. Guys like Robbie Loomis, uh, Ray Everham, I didn't really get to work with very much, but I, when I first started at Petty's is when Dodge was coming back into the sport. Yeah. And he had ventured out on his own to start the Dodge test team and those things. And I actually worked behind the scenes with that for a full year. Coming in as a new guy into the Cup Series and being able to work on a lot of those aspects and work with greats like that kind of gives you that experience of man that there's a lot bigger world out there there's a lot more for me to learn so now when a new engineer comes in or a new driver like i said before we're actually a fairly young team and uh, i really like that aspect because i can help mold their careers and help give them the support that i had when people encourage you when you're on your 15th week on the road and you're, you're just really getting burned out and they come by and pat you on the back it's just what you needed you see uh, some of the veterans come through, and they'll see that this kid needs a the pump up. He, he's, he's having a rough time. So that's what I look forward to doing this year and trying to keep those guys all on task. I, I try to take all my new guys and say, hey, what's your five-year plan? What's your 10-year plan? Hmm. Not just in racing. It's about life. And uh, this guy's still living in an apartment. When are you going to buy a house? And just, just some <laughs> of those general concepts of, all right, if you're not buying a house, you are still. Are you planning on staying to work with me? Because you, you're not even going to commit to actually trying to live here. You're still trying to live in an apartment. And it's like, hmm, he could leave next year. I got to keep that in the back of my mind. So those are all the things that you learn with experience where I didn't think about that stuff when I was a young kid and then I had some guys that kind of patted me on the back and go hey are you are you starting to think about a 401k you didn't know what that was <laughs> when you came out of college you didn't care right <laughs> but that's the kind of aspect of the younger team it's, it's actually keeps it fun it keeps it enlightening you see guys have their get married and then have their first kid and some of those things too so it's just it's maturing with the sport and now I'm the old gray guy <laughs> that's <laughs> I, I started out as a young pup and that now I'm the old gray guy too that's trying to give some of that sage advice I don't if it's any good or right. not but it, it's just interesting to see how the times have changed uh, since i started up until now
1: so going back to 2002 when you're at penny enterprises and you're an engineer and they're an old school team and that's uh, engineering was a relatively new trend there what, did you have people who convinced you did you have moments when you thought ah? Eh. Maybe this isn't going to work out and have people convince you, yes, this is you're in the right line of work. NASCAR is, is the place for you to be.
0: It, it was. I mean, I actually was working outside in the trucking industry and kind of took this job as i put my resume on the internet and got a job offer through that. It was right. kind of crazy the way it all worked out. I was like, I'm giving up a full-time engineering position with good benefits and everything else to go racing. You were working at Volvo Trucks? I was working at Volvo Trucks then. Okay. And I put my resume on a free website and literally within two weeks, I'd gotten the job offer and I'm sitting there trying to decide what I want to do. <laughs> I've got to work For a multi-million dollar company, but I want to go racing. But I I was still paying to go racing my own way on Friday and Saturday nights, and that's what I loved. And just to be able to turn my passion into a full-time job, couldn't think of anything better than that. And then as the the job progressed, I've been very fortunate in where I was at at the right times to be able to progress my career not even how I wanted it, it was just how people wanted me to progress my career. I, I didn't know I could be a crew chief and then I got the opportunity to. It was like, man, that was actually kind of fun. And it's just all kind of progressed so well uh, Mr. Hendricks really taking care of me when the whole Stuart Haas thing came about. And he asked me, he said, I need you to go do this. I need that company to be successful. I need you to help do it. To have the, him have that confidence in me and want me to do that was a, a
1: huge boost to my career and to my own uh, thought process about what I want to accomplish in life. Yeah, your career timeline is quite something like when you just break it down. I mean, you go from Virginia Tech graduate, like you said, you, you worked at Volvo Trucks, worked as an engineer at Petty, then an engineer at Hendrick. And then your first time as a crew chief, you get thrown into the fire in the 2006 (laughs) Daytona 500 with Jimmy Johnson, and you win. Yeah. <laughs> what do you remember about that night? That
0: was some of the craziest time I could ever remember, just uh, being thrown in. And it didn't feel like I was being thrown in because right. it was a team I'd been with for three years with Ron Malick as the car chief, uh, one of the greatest that's ever been, and working with Jimmy for those three years before that. It was just easy. We, we still just kind of did everything the way we had been trained for the last three years. It just happened that I was actually sitting one seat over from where I normally would have. And it was so much fun because that's when – jimmy literally took over the team he became the leader he realized hey if chad's not here how are we going to perform and he knew he was the senior member and he had to be that leader of the team and he just went out and got it done And we won two two races out of those four and we're still disappointed we didn't win all four because we had the potential <laughs> we finished second and sixth and the other two and i still feel like we could have and but that was the part that made me realize this was fun i didn't ever act like I wanted to be a crew chief I didn't think I wanted to be a crew chief hmm. and I was just happy being an engineer but then at that point realizing it was all about the team it was all about the driver it was all about that camaraderie and not being stressed out and just going out and making a performance it that's what made it fun and then when uh later on they asked me to that e- end of that year they asked me to fill in and take over the Casey Mears crew chief deal and I was like well that was kind of fun L- yeah. why not and just able to to go through the aspects of building a team. and had Brian Whitesell on my, on my side trying to help me out with all those things, another good mentor that taught me so much over the years. And it's just it, – it's been crazy how that has progressed. And I learned so many lessons with every one of those that now, like taking over this team and having this young group and the young driver coming in, I can pull from every one of those experiences and learn something that I can take into my team.
1: You guys won two of four races while you were filling in for Chad Knows who was out because of a technical violation at Daytona. If you hadn't had that level of success during, did you still know crew chiefing was for you, or you went half the races that you work as an interim crew chief? You think, eh, maybe this could be the right line of work. Yeah, yeah I may have gotten fooled a little bit. as Man, this is so easy because you got <laughs>
0: Jimmy Johnson at the wheel, of, and that was the year of his first championship out of the run that he had. And it's just one of those. It was too easy at that point, and it may have gave, given me a little bit of a jaded view of how easy it could be. Yeah. But then again, it it showed me how fun it could be if the performance is there, and you actually work hard at it, and you put the team around you, and give everybody the confidence that they are supposed to do their job. You're going to rely on them to do that job. And then you're just kind of the glue that pulls everything together and makes it happen.
1: So you mentioned you, you worked with Casey Mears in 2007, won Coca-Cola 600 on a strategy gamble. Then you moved to Stuart Haas Racing and worked for three seasons as the crew chief for Tony Stewart, win the championship in your final year together. Three seasons with Denny Hamlin, seven wins there. Another season with Carl Edwards, two more wins. And then the last two years here at Hendrick as a vice president at track liaison before moving in this crew chief role. When you look back at all of that, that entire spectrum, what are the first things that come to mind about? <laughs> working with uh, so many different places and doing so many different things with so many different people it's funny because as you as you hear that you think wow I'm old
0: <laughs> I've had a lot of experiences that's a that's a nice way to say I'm old uh, but it, it's just the it is the experiences it's about going through and learning from every one of those uh, interim steps that I feel like it's got me where I am today it's got me to where I have a lot of friends that work on pretty much every team in the garage that that's the best part of this is it, it's a camaraderie that you see that I I do know someone and I can pat somebody on the back or they come by and pat me on the back, just, Hey, happy birthday. Or, Hey, how are you doing? How are your kids doing? And things like that, that it makes you want to stay in the sport because it is such a tight knit family. And, uh, having all those experiences, it just, uh, you hope you can make some benefit of that as you get down when the
1: decisions are made on the line. Twenty-three wins and eleven at Stewart Haas, nine at JGR, three at Hendrick. I mean, you have to be one of the most successful crew chiefs, I would think, across three organizations essentially. And you mentioned you have a lot of friends in the garage because of that. Do you take pride in that?
0: I, I do, I do, and it's uh, it's for me. It's always been about the team atmosphere. Th- those are not my wins. I've been very fortunate to have those wins on my record book, but it's about the team that's around you and what you are able to accomplish. Um, and being able to say, hey, I went from this company to that company, and i got people that want to come work with me here because they enjoyed working with me there. That's the part that I take pride in. And seeing, uh, like I was talking about, some young engineer who did buy his house and did get married and had, <laughs> has kids, knowing that they were teammates of mine and how see how they progress, and they don't go on to become crew chiefs Uh, We talked about how the 48 team, it became a crew chief breeding ground there for a while. You got Greg Ives and Justin Alexander and some other guys. They were actually my understudy engineers at one given time. And it's just cool to see that and see a lot of the guys in the garage and how they, they work through the system and kind of go through and you see them progress. That's what makes me proud. And just to know I can call most of those guys still just good friends and competitors. And when it comes down to, to race day, we're still going to be the, the fiercest competitors we can get, but maybe we can go out and
1: uh, have an adult beverage afterwards or something. <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of crew chiefing is the NFL coaching tree that you see where assistant coaches work under, say, a Bill Walsh or whoever, and then you know five of them go off and, and become head coaches somewhere else. Bill Parcells, same thing. Is it
0: sort of similar to that? It's funny to see the the personalities of the people. You see some kids come in or even some of the older veterans that come in, it's like, all right, well, this guy, he's just here for another job. He's huh? not here to try to progress his career. He's, he's just here. He's doing – The seven to four workload, and he's going on. It's like they usually don't last very long. It's it's the guys that come in that they show up at six when work doesn't start till seven. They stay till six when work ended at four. They want it. They they understand it. And then you see the management start giving them more load because they they're trying that effort. And then those are the ones that progress very quickly through their career because they have that extra effort and the extra drive that it takes to to be successful. Because this this sport doesn't sit still. We're going racing next week whether we like it or not, and we have to be prepared and we have to be more prepared than the other. The 40 individuals that are doing it
1: i spoke with you after the 2011 season when you won the championship with tony stewart and i'm just going to read you a quote that you said there at vegas actually the award ceremony you guys were celebrating the championship before i started crew chiefing the age of 40 was when we talked about this is the time of starting to think about spending time at home with your kids and taking them to practice and all those things so you're 42 now so you're past 40 but you've returned to crew chief and what changed for you
0: Uh, It's interesting. Uh, On the personal side of my life and stuff, my wife and I were separated and probably going to go through a divorce and things with that, but it's actually now in this point in my life, it's actually given me more time with my kids. Uh, Before with the management uh, job that I was in, I was pretty much doing seven days a week. I was still traveling full-time coming in running meetings on mondays and thursdays so i didn't even get travel time anymore it was all about when i could steal time with my kids as best i could now at least with the crew chief i can hopefully be able to take off mondays and thursdays with a normal travel day and spend time with them more take them to school drop them off pick them up just the normal dad things and spend time with them and still bring them to the racetrack quite a bit if i can uh, the way the school schedule and things work out so for me it's actually a good time for me to be able to do that and step back in to refocus and go back to crew chiefing. And and it's all my kids have ever known. That's all seven weeks old, Gavin was on the road and four Mm -hmm. weeks old, Gabriella was on the road. So that's all they've ever known. So now this is more kind of a, this is the stability for them, stability for me and just kind of getting back into that swing of things and making it all happen again.
1: That's an interesting way to look at because usually you hear about the life on the road. As you said, like when you're talking to these young engineers, this can take a toll, but it sounds like for you it, it's been a refuge of, of sorts. It, yeah. it
0: has quite a bit, and it's it's something, too, as you work with your engineers and you know they see what you do with your family life. They see what you do with your kids and those things, too, and th- they feed off of that. If your kids got a recital or something that they're going to be doing on Tuesday afternoon, you better not miss it. There's nothing that I'm going to tell you you have to get done on the push-up rig or the 7 post or or anything else that's more important than that, that we don't have somebody else who better be trained to handle that while you're gone. So as long as your workload is covered and you have the next engineer behind you coming along that's smart enough to take care of that, leave at 3 o'clock and go be at your kid's recital. That, that's more important in life than uh, being here and getting that done. So if you're not training that next guy in charge to be able to do that, then you're never going to be able to move on
1: how can you progress through your career if you're not training your replacement to do that next job? How does that work for you, Darian? I mean, are Tuesdays and Wednesdays, are you carving out like, hey, this is my block of time this afternoon, and I'm sorry, but this is when I go and take care of Gavin for a couple hours. Or yeah,
0: I, I try to as much as I can. Uh, the mo- most of it, like, even if I'm home, I'm still working. I, I'll have my computer up and be sitting there sending emails and passing notes back and forth, and may- luckily now with the digital age, we can keep up with a lot of things, just not being here physically in the office. Uh, the more I'm here, the more you actually get drug into meetings and other things too so i can actually be more productive to be home and spending time with the kids as well having gavin sit down and do some homework uh, while i'm sitting there cleaning up some emails it works out really well for me and uh the tuesdays and wednesday afternoons it is something i I try to say all right i'm going to be leaving here at six o'clock every day if at yeah, all possible. And there's a few times where I'm going to, like Daytona, it's yeah. one of those things. We'll probably be here till 9 o'clock at night, but that's part of the sacrifice that you have to make to do that. But you, you schedule the rest of your life around it. I actually had an engineer come in a few minutes ago, hey, do you mind if I run to the DMV? He's like, yes, because if you don't, <laughs> you're going to be going, and it'll be a four-hour process some other time. This is a perfect time. Go ahead. Go yeah. go knock it out because you're going to be on the road for the next three weeks, and you're not going to get a break. So knock it out, spend an hour, come back to work. I know he's going to be here till 7 o'clock tonight. So that's no no, uh, problem for me to be able to allow them to do that. It
1: sounds like you've found where that life-work balance is, but so many people in CUP are what's known as, I think you kind of alluded to earlier, they're racers. This consumes every fiber of their being. How do you guide somebody, I guess, who's a racer and preach from your experience and tell them, hey, here's what I've learned about balancing family and work?
0: It's interesting, even just being a homeowner and just, saying there's some people that, hey, I need to be able to mow my yard every week because that's my release. I put my headphones on. I go out and I push mow my two-acre yard or whatever it is because I get a break. And then you see them, all right, well, now they get married. And then, all right, I need to be able to hire a yard guy to be able to take care of this because I don't have time anymore. You just see those transitions go through, but you can never tell any one individual what they should do. It's all about them and them managing themselves. Some guy would want to have a yard guy himself, and some guy's like, I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to buy a condo because I don't want to have any maintenance. So it's just to each his own. You have to know all your people. You have to know them individually. And you have to be able to just kind of help coach them and say, hey, have you ever thought about this? Or, hey, next year, I, I did give you a bump in your raise. Now you can afford a yard, guys, which you complained <laughs> about all year last year. <laughs> so th- that's the type of things that I take some pride in. It's like, hey, I, I know my guys. I know what they need. I know what they, they might need to push for for the future. And it's just it's fun to be able to, to watch that transition.
1: You got a little bit of a taste of it during the playoffs last year, during being back out on the road. How do you get ready to do it for a full year again? How do you prepare yourself, I guess, mentally for the first time in three years to go back to 36 races a year? For me, it's all
0: about just the team guys and just getting to know the personalities, getting to know what their needs are as well, because that that's the hard part of the season is keeping everybody engaged for the thirty-six events over the forty weeks that we're going to be on the road, and, and making sure they they don't get burned out. Uh, we got to have our best pieces and our best equipment and everything ready for when the playoffs start but we got to make the playoffs first so that that tells you and if you see what even happened last year with the way the 78 team ran we know how important stage points are and stage wins and all the other things go along with it because it makes the end of your year much easier so now you can't just kind of coast through you can't do a testing period in the middle of the season anymore you have to perform year-round so now it is about balancing that work and life performance you have to be able to maintain both or you're going to get run down on the other travel obviously is just something you
1: just have to deal with that's part of the deal
0: travel is and we try to make that fun it's it's honestly something where i try to take the guys out to dinner if i can if go hey this place in texas has got killer barbecue all right we're (laughs) gonna have a team outing and it's just something that happens and we like to go ski shooting and some things like that we'll we'll be planning ahead for talladega with the way the schedule works we're hoping we can go on a saturday afternoon go skeet shooting there because there's a killer place to go down there so that's the kind of thing where we do as a team to try to make sure it's not just monotonous we're on the road in another town living in a hotel and going to the racetrack it's hey we're hanging out with our friends and we're doing cool stuff and we're getting along and and actually
1: enjoying it and then we got the racetrack's the side benefit of all that you're in a unique position here darian because as you mentioned you, you have this executive role the last couple of years and hendrick motorsports is going through a transition, a little bit of a, a restructuring over the last several months where essentially from the way I heard Jimmy Johnson describe it, it's essentially gone from like two two-car teams to a true four-car team. And you're going to be immersed in that as a crew chief after kind of helping set the structure. What can you tell us about the way things might be different at Hendrick this year versus previous years?
0: I think a lot of that may even come from some of my background of being not at Hendrick Motorsports for several years where we went and uh, I worked at Stuart Haas, then worked at Gibbs, then came back here, kind of seeing how some of the other companies companies functioned and what they did. Uh, obviously, at Stuart Haas, when I was there, it was only a two-car team, but the way they functioned was kind of different than the way Hendrick was, and we kind of, they built it into a four-car team after that. And then same thing with Gibbs. He went from a three-car team to a four-car team when I was there and kind of went through some of that transition, and then coming back here and just kind of seeing how sport has evolved and what we have to do for inspection and the way the competition is so much closer now you, you can't have one-man islands if you do and the performance is not there the one-man island is going to get run over with water really quick so mm-hmm. now it's more about building that island bigger we, we've got to handle ourselves as a company much better we have to be smarter about the way we spend the money so we can have more staff here to be able to keep the performance levels where we want to we have to make sure we're not doing and redoing work all the time we got to do it right the first time we have to make sure we're making the right decisions back in engineering and stuff to build the cars up from the ground up So all those things now, I think we're trying to do more of a consolidated effort to build Hendrick Motorsports program, not just the nine team or the 24 team specifically
1: and how each building would do business. Now we're trying to elevate the performance as a whole. Will it be harder, do you think, for crew chiefs at first? Is there going to be a little less, maybe autonomy in some ways than than they had before?
0: It's different for me because I've experienced a different way and I feel like I've actually got more autonomy because I don't need to know about all the details of where you put this one clamp on the car. That doesn't matter to me. Mm -hmm. As long as somebody said that was a good spot for it i say okay you're empowered to do that that i don't need to think about that anymore I don't, I don't want that type of decision level on my race cars i want to know what the parts are and i can make it go fast i want to manage my people my team my driver mm-hmm. and all the parts and pieces we bolt to it but i don't need to know that this bar on this chassis is this much stiffer. Because my engineering group told me that. They, they handled it, and they said, that, here it is, and your simulation is now correct, and you're ready to go to the racetrack. Those are the type of things. That I'm not smart enough to sit there and <laughs> nitpick all, each individual piece apart like that, like those guys do every day. So I, I, for me, I think that's going to be an easy transition, and it gives me mm-hmm. more time to focus on the things I can control at the racetrack. But uh, other crew chiefs, I'm sure it's going to be more of an, a learning experience because they've had that kind of detail in the past that you got to give up some things. I mean, you, you can't do uh, more than the 40-hour the week that we do about 80, but you uh, <laughs> can't do any more than that because your time gets diluted so much that now you have to start realizing what parts you can peel away and give that responsibility to somebody else so you can focus on what does matter.
1: You say you're not, not smart enough, but obviously you're, you're joking. I mean, not only are you a Virginia Tech engineering graduate, but you also are well-known for being fairly ingenious with your strategies, twice winning the Coca-Cola 600 on fuel mileage gambits and the 2011 championship, of course, the way you, you won that race with Tony Stewart at Homestead Miami Speedway. It was remarkable. Was there any part of you that wanted to get back to that part of it? Did you miss outsmarting the competition? Are, are you looking forward to that? Do you have to get back into that mode of figuring out how to be that tactical yeah
0: you do and it's funny now because nobody remembers all the times that you look really really stupid for making the same call it's, it's, the, it's the really good ones that came out like right before the rain came at Homestead and we were lucky enough to to hit the timing of it perfectly and some of those other things that everybody remembers that but they don't remember the three times you ran out of fuel and some of the, those are the ones I remember actually that I wasn't going to bring up New Hampshire 2012 <laughs> yeah and that, that, that's a really good one that was actually the one I was thinking of because that was the one we, we knew we were going to run out yeah. of fuel and yeah. we were sitting there coaching like we can't do this we're gonna run out we're gonna run out but we had no choice right that's right, right. all we got at that point and it, it hurts but those are the things i do miss that i miss that uh, teamwork atmosphere and it wasn't just me making that call it's the engineers beside me sitting there's feeding the fuel data and everything else too and all of us sitting there wringing our fingers going man i just don't know i don't know it was like I pat him on the back and give him confidence. He looks at me and winks and is like, oh, yeah, let's try it. Why not? Yeah. That's the kind of thing that I did miss of having the, the team atmosphere and having everything on the line. That's the fun part. That's what that goes out there. And then when you do get the benefits of the job and you go out there and you get, end up in victory lane, it doesn't get much better than that because yeah. especially when you, like said before, with a young team, uh, there's going to be a few guys that's going to be their first time in victory lane with a cup car. And that's going to be so cool to go out there and do that, and hopefully we'll be able to spray them down with some champagne and have some fun. How many of these are your guys? Did you build this team in your own making? A, a few. We we had a few guys that came off the road, and the, the just timing of it worked out that they wanted to come off. And uh, there's only one guy that I actually hired. We did shuffle quite a few guys around on the team and move their positions, uh, kind of promotions within type thing but uh yeah it's it's a new group really just in the new positions it's all
1: the same personalities that we had before just one guy added to it and obviously you're looking forward to being out there again any unfinished business from when you were crew chief the first time
0: i always say that i want to go out on my own terms and that like when we won the championship with tony and knowing that i didn't have a job (laughs) leaving there that was tough and i wanted to go win another championship and that, that was the reason I went and worked with Denny, because I knew I, I wasn't going to just take another job. It was going to be something where I had a legitimate chance to win a championship. And obviously we did. We came really close a couple of times, and uh, we worked with Carl, the same thing. And then I, I'd kind of settled in at that point. It's like, all right, I am reaching that point in my life where, yeah, I'm okay not to crew chief. I'm I'm okay not to win a championship. It's so tough these times now, especially with the playoff systems, to make it through without having any hiccups and win a championship but I still want to. It's yeah. the drive is still there. And now especially seeing William come in and just having that new fire, just breath of fresh air, whole new start. Really no performance requirement. Like we we know we want to, we know we got to. We've got to perform because that's what Hendrick Motorsports does. But nobody's expecting him to go win at Daytona right off the bat the first week. we got to build into it. But we want to build that reputation where people are expecting it. We want people to fear us coming to the racetrack it's like, oh, that kid's got it. He, he's going to be out here and he's going to be a performance factor no matter what every week. And that's what we want to build. So that that's the part that excites me now. Yes, I want to win a championship. And yes, I want to win William with first championship and those things that go on. Uh, Do I expect to do it the first week? No, (laughs) but those are the things that we can lose, but we're going to go into a building of that and try to try to build onto that uh, performance potential.
1: And if you can do it, it would be different the second time winning a title versus 2011, which again, like amazing circumstances under the duress of knowing you're leaving at the end of the year, the final, what, eight races or whatever, to still rally your guys and win with a driver who you know you're splitting with, this would be a little bit sweeter than probably that one felt. It it
0: really would, just because that was something, that felt like a culmination of everything, of building Stuart Haas kind of from the ground up. Three years of blood, sweat, and tears and winning a championship was a huge deal, but then knowing I wasn't going to be there to enjoy the spoils afterwards, Mm -hmm. it kind of hurt, and it, it, it really did it's something that I'd like to go back and accomplish and and be able to continue building. And then, hey, hey, then it's about winning the second one. Then it's about winning the third. Then it's about winning the fourth. That's the kind of thing that makes it fun. And it gives you more goals to try to drive forward every year.
1: I certainly hope you're having fun this year. It certainly seems like you are so far. Really appreciate you sitting down, Darian. Appreciate all the candor. Good luck to you this year.
0: Yeah, thank you very much.
1: We appreciate Darian Grubb for joining us. And thanks to Tiffany Powers and Brandon James at Hendrick Motorsports for helping make that conversation happen. Lots of talk about all the storylines involving new drivers this season, but I think Darian Grubb is one of the most intriguing crew chief stories of 2018. He had quite the history in his first go-round on top of the pit box, both in the vast successes he had with multiple drivers and teams, but also the crazy circumstances surrounding that first race and win with Jimmy Johnson in the 2006 Daytona 500, And then you throw in the bizarrely awkward championship run that he had with Tony Stewart in 2011 when Darian Grubb took a driver to the title while knowing he was going to be fired at the end of the season. Darian Grubb has been through a lot professionally, and as you heard him say during the podcast, he's been through a lot recently personally as well. So again, really appreciate the honesty and insight he showed in being willing to open up about his career and life and the lives of his team members as well. Some sage advice that sometimes gets forgotten about keeping things in perspective. And also a good window into William Byron, who is one of those young drivers we will be talking about as the 2018 season gets underway. And speaking of, I'm heading down to Daytona tomorrow for Speed Weeks, where I'll be on the ground with NBCSports.com colleague Dustin Long through the Daytona 500. Check out NBCSports.com NASCAR for all our coverage. And of course, the Winter Olympics also about to get underway. And NBC Sports has that along with a new podcast called The Podium that will provide insider coverage of 17 days of competition in South Korea. You can subscribe to The Podium wherever you get your podcasts and leave a rating review in Apple Podcasts. And, of course, we would ask you to do the same for the NASCAR and NBC podcast, which is just a few ratings short of the century mark on Apple Podcasts. So I'd be eternally grateful if you can help push us over the 100 mark on ratings. We're so close. I'm obsessively looking at Apple Podcasts to see when we reach 100 ratings. So help us out and leave a rating review, hopefully a positive one. The NASCAR and NBC podcast also is available on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and pretty much wherever you download podcasts. And if you have any feedback, please send it to me on Twitter at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. If a friend asks
0: how you're doing, and you say, "I'm okay," when the truth is.